0: everybody, welcome back to The Pendulum Show, and uh, this week is a special episode. We are talking to Melinda Ann Charlene, who was the representative for CLANG at Parliament Digital, which just took place uh, last week, and uh, we're, we're very excited to talk to her because uh, Parliament Digital has been all over social media, and it's even been in the news after the, uh, Parliament Digital closed, and we're going to get into all of that. Mm. But first of all, thanks Melinda for joining us today.
1: Melinda. Thank you so much
2: for having me. <laughs>
1: no, good to, good to have you on the show, Melinda.
2: Thank you. Uh, great work you guys are doing.
1: Thanks.
2: <laughs> That's so nice.
1: We, you know, it's good, to, it's good to have fans of the show be guests on the show. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
2: Alright,
1: okay, so Bamba, hit it yeah. off.
0: Yeah, so uh, first of all, let's get right into it. What is Parliament Digital? Uh, why Why was this the... Why was this event held, basically? What were the goals?
2: Okay, Um, I think it's quite obvious from the name itself. Um, So Parliament Digital is actually a youth-led initiative to literally show the government that a virtual parliament is possible. Uh, So this was after the the parliamentary session was delayed and there was only a one-day parliamentary seating. And obviously, there were there was a barely any discussions on issues per se, or you know, the economic stimulus plan, or what other plans further to address COVID nineteen in the country. I think it was also a platform where you know youth uh, representatives could come together and discuss um, issues specific to youth, how the youth was specifically affected during COVID nineteen. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. so basically, that was that was the whole idea of Parliament Digital. Ixto- so it was, um, it was organized by four organizations, mm-hmm. um, Challenges Malaysia, uh, Undi 18, Liga Rakyat Democratic, and also UNAM Youth. Um, so they got together and it is purely youth-led. And yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's great because there was quite a lot of outrage that we only had a half-day parliament sitting and there was no debate. Yeah. And uh, you know, the, yeah. like the current government hasn't had its confidence tested for so many months. So, yeah, it's good that you guys showed that it's possible to do this remotely. So uh, another question on my mind is how were the representatives selected for Um, Parliament Digital?
2: Yeah, there were a lot of questions about that. Um, so, the representatives were selected purely on a basis of an open call. And I think mm. the rep, uh, the organizers themselves weren't really expecting that big of a response. I mm. think in just a few days, they received about 6,000 responses that they even had to close the application sooner than they thought they had to. Mm. Um, so, yeah. on the application, we had to answer several questions and apparently there was a third-party selection team that uh, screened the application and chose the representatives. So yeah, um, as we were told, it was unbiased uh, by a third party, and our constituency was based on our address on the IC, so most of us we were actually representing our own hometowns or places that we really grew up uh, in from a very young age. Um, mm. However, there were some who were assigned to other constituencies, but close to where they live. I see, I see. Ah,
1: Interesting. So, yeah. you were the representative of Klang. Yes. Therefore, do you live in Klang? I on do. Or nearby Klang? Okay. <laughs> I do live on in your Klang. Or Klang?
2: <laughs> I mean, people say Klang is a whole different country on its own. But I agree. <laughs> I'm so tired of It's really this.
0: fun. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they have good, Bakute.
2: <laughs> um, I actually, I wanted to add as well that... um. Um, the parliament digital process in itself, and the whole debate and everything, um, it was purely issue-based. I, I just want to emphasize on that—that yeah. that mm-hmm. nobody was um, divided on the basis of party. Um, right. No one was government, opposition, and the whole discussion itself was very independent. And mm. you were representing the issue that you want to champion, and that was really refreshing to watch. You know, there was no room mm-hmm. for you know political uh, game or you know politicking. Um, mm. Everyone was just trying to push the issue that they wanted to fight for
0: mm. Right, mm. I mean, that, that, that was a question that we were uh, talking about So do you think that that would have been as good a response uh, If if you had allowed for this kind of like party line thing That you, you um, mm. if, if the members were part of certain groups or some other format Then just, you know, being individuals representing uh, talking about the issues in a non-partisan way?
2: Mm, um, I think it would have been different and I think it would have been received differently as well mm. because as it is, um, it is already being viewed as a very liberal um, or they're very partisan because they seem very liberal and all that um, but little do they know that um, this was actually non-partisan and People's political affiliations were their own, but the program itself was very neutral, and everyone was representing issues. So I think I think it would have been received very differently had people present uh, had people joined in on the basis of their parties. Um, and I think that I don't want to go there because this has shown how refreshing it can be and how different our political mm-hmm. landscape needs to be. And I think that's something that's really great that has come out from this particular process in mm-hmm. how different our country can be led if politicking is kept aside and if people focused more on issues
0: yeah. I, I, I totally agree I mean we vote for individuals to okay. represent us we don't vote specifically for parties and really yeah. the individuals definitely should matter should, should matter more it shouldn't be uh, we, should, we shouldn't be in a system where everybody just has to throw the party line a hundred percent of the time there should be space for your individual conscience and so on, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Agree. Yeah, so uh, I want to get a bit more into your background. So what were the experiences which led up to you participating in Parliament Digital, like in politics, civil society, and so on?
2: Uh, so I'm currently in a civil society organisation, um, an NGO called the Foreign Spouses Support Group, which also leads the Malaysian Campaign for Equal Citizenship. Um, so this also led to me emphasizing on the need for gender mainstreaming in um, Parliament Digital itself. Mm. Um, so FSSG is part of the Joint Action Group for Gender Equality (JAG), which is a well-known coalition that pushes for um, gender equality in the country. Um, so I think from there, I do work. Um, we try to you know engage with the government because they are major stakeholder when it comes to policies and laws. And that's where I also understand the need for a multi-stakeholder engagement, especially between civil society organizations and the government. And we do a lot of parliamentary engagement in our work. And that's where I also was interested in the parliamentary proceedings, um, the various ways in which you can engage with the parliamentary process and things like that. Prior to that, I was also interning with a member of parliament. And uh, that gave me a more first-hand view of how a constituency is managed and how you can have community engagement within within a constituency. Unfortunately, the time I joined was when Parliament had um, ended that session for the year. So I didn't really have a first-hand view of Parliament itself. So mm-hmm. this seemed like a really good avenue for me to understand very closely, how the parliamentary session itself is yeah um, and I also want to add that um, I was recently added to the one 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 initiative by Undi eighteen, which is also another youth led movement to mentor young women such that there is a fifty percent women representation in politics and if it's one thing that was emphasized very strongly during the Application process of Parliament mm-hmm. Digital is that they wanted to ensure that there was at least thirty percent representation of women. Um, yes. Yeah.
1: All right. Nice. Can you uh, maybe talk a little bit more about um, the actions taken or what I, what is in play to achieve those goals?
2: Sorry, which goals?
1: Um, for the initiative that you just said for advancing ah. women's participation in politics.
2: Ah. Okay. Um, I was very recently at it, um, so yeah. I haven't been very active in terms of the campaign itself. Right, but right. Um, I think we're in a very initial stage of trying to educate people on why there's a need for representation of women in politics.
0: Mm. And
2: a lot of it also comes from changing the mindsets of the majority. Um, mm. Because I think one of the major reasons why there's an obstacle for women to enter politics is also because of how women are viewed in politics. Are you welcomed? Mm. Um, how do people view uh, the competency of w- women in politics? Are you still judged on the basis of your gender roles and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. So I think a very important co- aspect of women's political participation is also emphasizing on the need for it. Um, so the the campaign currently is... Um, um educating people on the need for it and will soon also start uh mentoring women because there's also this whole notion about quotas right people think yeah. that it should be on merit and not quota um, i think mm. there's two ways to see it which is why one 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 initiative while they also emphasize on quota they also emphasize a lot on merit so the mm. whole sharing resources and, you know, being able to mentor women so that they have access to these spaces in, in politics is also very important. You don't mm-hmm. say, oh, um, it has to be on merit, and all your system, your political system doesn't allow women to access these spaces. So right. how do women enter politics if your hierarchy doesn't allow women these spaces? Okay. Um, so yeah, so I think that's another aspect of the initiative where they look into mentoring, which is which I think is great.
1: Right, right. So you basically need the systems that need to be in place, need to allow access, and then the rules behind it is supposed to be granted based on merit and equal opportunity.
0: You've been involved in all these uh, civil society groups. Um, you you've uh, worked in the office of a member of parliament and so on. Uh, do you see other youths? Do you see that, that there are a lot of youths which are, who are engaging in activism and activism in, in civil society and in politics? Do you see that there is large participation of youths? And if not, what, what do you think is stopping them from getting involved?
2: Hmm, okay. I do see youths engaging in activism and politics, mm. um, but I also see that there are a lot of youths outside of organized spaces. Um, Mm. because I think it's, it's very important that organized spaces ensure that there are spaces for youth, for women to access these spaces, right? Um, and I think a way to do this is to ensure horizontal leadership and to ensure that there are no power dynamics, um, which can be a very sensitive issue to talk about, which is why the intergenerational gap needs to be tread upon very carefully and to ensure that there's healthy bridging of the intergenerational gap itself. Um, so in this case I say that there are youth in activism and um, politics. I mean we all know that our mm-hmm. country is being ruled by old men um, mm-hmm. and there's definitely way more work to be done there. Um, the, but oldest activism, men.
3: <laughs> <laughs> the oldest men, that
0: is true. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so, yeah. So um, I think that there needs to be more youth in activism yeah. and in politics. Um, and I think if one thing that Parliament Digital has shown us, it's that there are so many young people that can do so much if they're given the space. I mean, we created our own space. Parliament Digital was a self-led initiative. And there have been so many well-researched ideas, so much of innovation and so much of energy and I think we really need to leverage on that. Yeah. But I think in terms of um, politics, uh, I think you also asked why, mm-hmm. well, what stops them or like mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. hinders them from getting into politics. Yeah. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I think one main issue is the mindset of people and mm-hmm. I think we all can agree that we are ruled by a very patriarchal society that dictates the role and access of women to resources and opportunities. Um, so that's where the whole emphasis on women's political participation comes, right? And mm-hmm. in terms of youth um, itself, youth engagement in politics, I think a major a major hindrance is the whole si- the political system in itself. So, um, mm. for instance, the deposit to run for office, it's currently at, what, 15,000? And it is honestly... Mm. Um, a huge amount for young people, or for people from the grassroots. If we wanna emphasize on representation or diversity in politics or in parliament, are we ensuring that people from the grassroots have access to these spaces? Mm. And how about this this system? Again, it comes to the whole political system. Um, So that has to change. And I think a very good place to start is mm. is the local government because the local government mm. is the closest to grassroots mm. and currently there is no local council elections um so when a lot of the conversation on parliament digital was happening i think um it was Bo- uh, busulin on twitter also who emphasized on you know a, lo- a, the, a local council election would be a great place to start uh, in ensuring that more youth are involved in politics i also spoke about that during my speech in Parliament Digital, um, I spoke that there needs to be more engagement between um, the federal government and the local government. And um, I mean, if I was given more time to speak, I would have ensured on um, requiring a local council election so that there's accountability in the local governance itself. And yeah, I think Mm -hmm. a great place to start would be local governance.
0: Yeah. I I mean, yeah. yeah, I, I 100% agree, No, there's a lot of institutional roadblocks, the, yeah. the structure is not very encouraging in terms of engagement, but uh, I noticed this and I want to know whether you see it too, that there is a lot of antipathy amongst uh, youth these days, uh, uh, antipathy and, and disillusionment. So I, I noticed like a lot of my friends who now they say like, what is the point mm. of voting? Yeah, Nothing yeah changes. exactly. And it, and it translates into like a total detachment from whatever is going on in the politics of this country and in the government. And I noticed that like a lot of people uh, don't even bother to find out like how these systems work because they, they don't they don't see that they have an impact or an influence on that. Do you see that as a widespread phenomenon and how do you think that we can combat it?
2: Um, so I think a lot of the sentiment came after the Sheraton move as well. Yeah. Um, but there were two groups of people. So there were the people who actually were betrayed and didn't find a point in believing in the government anymore. Mm. And there were this other group of people who actually were betrayed, but really, really wanted to do something. Um, mm. Didn't know. Obviously, we were really confused about what was happening and in what ways we could contribute. Um, there were a lot of emphasis on, you know, this is the time you join a party that your value aligns strongly with and things like that. Um, while... A lot of people do agree on that. And I'm not disregarding that at all. For me personally, I still wanted to remain independent and still find ways to do something. And I think this initiative actually gave me that that space and that hope um, because I was also strongly disappointed. And after a point in time, I felt really exhausted as well, because as a mm. civil society organization representative as well, it's yeah. kind of demotivating when you lose all your focal points in the government, because you're working hard on getting an issue across. And then you have the political turmoil and then you're put in a position where you think you have to start all over from scratch. And that is a lot of work to be done. And it involves people's lives. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm going away. No, 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 it's it's fine. (laughs) Um, This is really good. But um, it may have been a common phenomenon, but I want to say don't give up. Um, If everyone remained like that, Parliament Digital wouldn't have been able to pull off. And there yeah. is so much of energy. Our youngest participant is fifteen years old. Wow.
3: Mm. Oh, wow. And okay. she was also
2: that chosen as the yeah, she was also chosen as the second best debater uh, when she spoke on education.
0: Jesus so what? <laughs> I think we have That's a lot amazing. to learn from
2: there. Yes. And yeah, we yeah, see yeah, her energy. Really. It was amazing and it was really inspiring. And I think it shows us that, you know, with solidarity and with a sense of community, if we come together, yeah. it's really possible.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not really not surprised by that fact, you know, like, I people 10, ten years younger than us right now at this point, I mean, we're not yep. exactly very old, but we're not exactly very young either, And right? They're mm. 10 times smarter than what when we were at that age, you know? So, I mean, <laughs> come on, like, without a doubt, the vast amount of information that they can absorb and retain yeah. at yep. this point is insane. So, uh, props to them, definitely. But, no, um, oh, good for you, you know. Um, in regards to the point when, you know, when it hindered a lot of your work, or maybe you felt you were very frustrated and you were exhausted in terms of the amount of progress that you've made, when after the Sheraton move and with the new government, did it sort of put more roadblocks in regards to advancing your uh, aspirations within your current occupation?
2: Um So I think uh, I I don't see it as a roadblock, because I think Mm. the work has to go on regardless. Mm. And obviously, we as civil society organizations, we believe in the cause, regardless of the political circumstance. Mm. Um, So we were confused, because we didn't know what was going to happen next. Mm. Um, And it required a lot of energy to actually understand what was happening. And then you know, Mm -hmm. take some time off and then you know, re strategize and all that. But Mm. I think this is where you re-innovate and make new focal points. Um, as much as we don't like it or or we like it, um, the work has to go on regardless of who's in power
0: mm-hmm.
2: because um, we are at the end of the day watchdogs of the government. Um, we have to hold them accountable regardless of who's in power.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, regardless of who's in power, it's our job to keep them accountable even as regular citizens. So I think keeping our political affiliations aside, that shouldn't be a bias for us to, you know, let go of people not fulfilling their duties as an elected representative. Um, So to answer that question, while it was difficult, we just had to find ways to, you know, make new engagements, make new focal points, and, you know, just become more innovative, while also obviously um, looking after our own mental health and, you know, Restrategizing.
3: strategizing mm.
1: Right, right. Okay. Yeah, that's perfect.
3: Okay. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, Belinda, um, what do you think the value of social media activism is? Oof. <laughs> <laughs> Ha-ha.
1: Let's um, go. Let's <laughs> go.
2: <laughs> um... I believe that social media is a very important tool in activism. Mm. Um, most of Parliament Digital publicity was done online.
3: Yeah.
2: The recruitment was online. The communication was online. Exchange of opinions was online. Everything was online. So it depends on how you use it. Mm-hmm, yeah. But we also know that the internet's not the safest space on earth. Um yeah. a lot of parliament digital reps have been getting a lot of hate as well over the past couple of days. Um a lot of cyberbullying, a lot of cyber troopers attacking. Um so yeah. Have you it is have you
1: yeah. have you been getting any reception like this?
2: Um I, I did dig out some old hate messages that I only now discovered when I started about <laughs> Wait, old <only> migrant... <laughs> No, it was when the whole Migrant Juga Manisia, um oh, campaign was going oh. on. So I, I actually put out a story about migrant rights. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and I don't know, it really surfaced out of nowhere. And it was kind course. of sad because there were like racial slurs. Um, oh, of I wonder the, if these mean? are real
0: people you know who are posting these things. You know, it's just it boggles the mind that, that you can, that with a rational mind, you can express. This kind yeah, of- I
2: don't know, but yeah, I think it's a very powerful tool, social media. Mm. Um, but it also depends on how you use it and mm. how you navigate around people who have differing opinions and people who also come at you, mm. um, mm. with obviously with hate. Yeah.
1: Mm. Right. Right. I-
0: yeah, I mean, like, do you see that there's some kind of... That we, we sometimes have a, a tendency on social media to be distracted by issues which are happening, like, very far away from us? There's something that we... Yeah, we, uh, we actually touched
1: population. upon earlier yeah. like, in our previous episodes, right? Mm. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, and we were talking about um, how there was so much um, energy online, especially from, from Malaysians as well, about uh, Black Lives Matter and things like that in the past like, couple of months or so. And we were wondering... Uh, do, do do we bring the same energy to Malaysian issues? Do we bring the same energy to the things which are affecting us here? And do you, do you see that as a problem?
2: Um, actually, you're right. Um, the, obviously, there was a lot of um, support from the Malaysian Twitter community, Twitter Jaya, mm-hmm. on uh, Black Lives Matter. But when it came to... Well, there were people who were actually making connections with the Black Lives Matter Matter movement and also um, the the issue with police custody uh, in Malaysia and you yeah. know deaths <laughs> in detention, deaths in custody and all that. Yeah. Um. But obviously there were people who really felt like, oh, why are you connecting this with that? There's no need to. And then you know there were there were also a lot of comments on. Do you think that the deaths in custody in Malaysia was on racial on racial basis? You know you shouldn't make the connection and things like that. Um. <sighs>
0: Jeez, and of obviously,
2: people did not show the same sentiment when it came to the recent case of uh, Mugil Arasu who died yeah, in yeah. custody.
1: Rest, rest in peace.
2: Yes. Um, so, um, it, is a, it is a very difficult uh, thing to understand. Um, why, why do people um, relate so much more to things that are happening really far away <laughs> very important issues, not disregarding the importance of issues, but why don't you localize it and see the same injustices happening in your own space? Um, There must be some psychological explanation behind it probably, but um, it's very hard to comprehend. And and I think we're left with more questions than answers as to how to navigate this.
3: Yeah. Mm.
2: How do we convince them otherwise? And how do you show the importance in localizing larger movements to to your own lived realities.
0: Yeah. Mm. I, I think that part of the problem is that social media is about being the loudest voice and so and and it's like there's no distinction between Twitter Malaysia and Twitter America and so like the loudest voice in one part of the world becomes the loudest voice everywhere and then everybody's attention is just focused on that you know. So I think yeah that maybe it's part of it. Yeah I, and honestly
3: I, I, I don't know to what extent is the activism even real. Like they, they, yeah. They're not focusing on the issue, they're just focusing on the entirety of the situation, which is just, I don't know, it's very hard to comprehend. Okay, okay. I'm going to go to the next question, okay? Mm. So, so tell me, uh, what were the main issues tackled uh, in Parliament Digital? And um, speak to me about some of the solutions that you all have came up with. Mm.
2: So the two main issues that were chosen, Um, So there were several, several clusters of issues that we we proposed in the initial stages, but obviously because it was only for two days, only two were selected. Mm -hmm. And one of it was economics and one was on education. Um, So this was specific to the response of Mm COVID-19 and specifically to targeting the youth. Um, So there were a lot of suggestions um, to target youth unemployment. Um, Some were targeting specific to the B40 community. Um, mm-hmm. There were suggestions on the need for um, more seriousness on the issue of mental health. Um, there was a lot of, there was an intersectional approach mm-hmm. to solutions and to identifying problems. And there was also, you know, discussions on disability access and access to education for persons with disabilities. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm just throwing out some of the the, the ideas that were spoken about during yeah. the sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, So there was one point on digitalizing offline learning such Mm, that those without access to internet can still access materials Um, Mm. because the Parliament Digital, one thing was also really refreshing is that there was a great emphasis on the Bornean voices uh, Mm. during this process. So most of the issues that were brought out by these Mm. representatives were issues that were often sidelined in regular conversations. Right. Hmm. Um, it, it definitely showed the great disparity in access to basic needs. For instance, hmm. we talk about expanding five G networks in like urban areas, but there <laughs> are areas in Sabah and Strawa that don't even have access to any internet. Yeah, I think we yep. saw it in the case of Viviona who had to climb a tree just so that she can find network. Oh um, yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there was yeah.
2: there was it was there is so much importance um, in emphasizing. Mm-hmm the voices of people of various diversity representation. And it was great to see that the born in voices received that space for them to bring up issues that were happening in their communities
0: Mm. that were
2: often sidelined by urban centric and classist discussions. Um, yeah, so like specific to what I spoke about, I spoke mm. about on the need for gender mainstreaming, mm. because gender mainstreaming is not something that's often spoken about yeah. in Parliament. Mm. There are obviously civil society organizations that emphasize on the need for gender mainstreaming. Um, there are various MPs who take this up, mm-hmm. but this is not a regular language used in Parliament. And oftentimes policies and laws are not seen from a gender lens. And this is problematic because mm. this may lead to enhancement of gender inequality mm. in the family and society, especially in times of crises. Um, I can see this in the work I do. Um, so like policies and laws, they were like the issues that I was dealing with wasn't seen as an urgent issue. But through the impact assessments that we did, mm. um, The experiences by women showed otherwise. Um, This is why Mm. there's an importance to see it from a gender lens because you don't know who is being left out until you do an analysis of it, Mm. until you see it from a different lens, until you see it away from your patriarchal male lens. Mm. Um, And I lost my point. Uh, <laughs>
1: it's fine, it's fine. it's fine, patriarchal yeah. mainlands
2: <laughs> period
1: that's
0: that's it what, what is our podcast <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no. fine we acknowledge um, it we acknowledge no, it no, but okay, I think that just for the benefit of our audience right um yeah. Uh, the definition of gender mainstreaming benefit is... audience
3: benefit of me so I don't
1: okay. even know what that means. Then, yeah. What <laughs> <Jesus.
3: laughs> I mean, the hell, saying gender mainstreaming, and I'm like, what <laughs> You I mean,
1: are okay. the problem.
0: <laughs> I honestly don't know. I mean, these I
2: are know. terms, right? I mean, I mean, uh, correct me
1: if I'm wrong, Actually, maybe why saying... don't why don't why don't Melinda yeah, tell yeah, us yeah. The definition?
2: Um. Okay. So basically, men- Huh? Ha. <laughs> Sorry, I had a word vomit there. Please edit this out. <laughs> so basically gender mainstreaming is that um, at every process of um, devising a law or a policy, mm-hmm. yeah. gender dynamics and differences in, differences in gender dynamics are taken into consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, this is a very basic example that comes up when you discuss gender mainstreaming. For mm-hmm. example, you talk about installing um, overhead lights on roads.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But who is it benefiting in that area? Are more men using cars than women, or like um, are more, mm. like you know the gender composition of the uh, of who uses cars and who will benefit from the lighting? and oh. And are more women using the uh, sidewalks and pavements more? And if your policy is only concentrating on installing lights over the roads, Mm. you're not taking into consideration the needs of the women that may rely more on the sidewalks. So basically, it's showing the differences uh, in the needs of men and women and how policies should target both. Mm. Um, Because when you only look at it from a very straight, very not taking into consideration of marginalized communities or people who may be affected, Mm. Uh, you may be leaving out people who may not even have access to your policies. Right, okay. So we're talking about getting people back to workforce. That was one of the issues right. I spoke about. Mm-hmm. You're talking You're talking about bringing people back to workforce. But are you looking at factors that actually make women not return to workforce? And this is where gender disaggregated data also comes into place. Mm. It's basically seeing the difference um, in gender in a particular trend. For instance, are you looking at COVID-19 and the number of unemployment, are you looking at whether there are more women who are not returning to workforce compared to men? And if so, why? Why is there a difference? Mm. And if there is a difference, how are you going to target it? Right. So, which is why I spoke about unpaid care work, because even prior to COVID-19, unpaid care work was one of the main reasons why women don't return to workforce. Um, so when COVID-19 happened and there was a rise in unemployment rates, we can project that there would be more women who will leave the workforce compared to men. Um, so while our economic stimulus package did cover care work, um, then you take an intersectional approach and see whether there are other groups of people who may not benefit from this access, right? Um, so for instance, the, the tax exemption. Yeah. Are people who work in the informal sector, or people who don't have banking, or people who are not in employment, have access to that particular benefit? Yeah.
3: Um,
2: so there were also subsidies for um, care providers. Is that amount enough for a shelter that is probably in an area that has more number of children? That you know they need more cost for uh, to cover their operations. Yeah. Mm. So it's important to take into consideration all this. And hence why there's a need for gender mainstreaming. So when I spoke about the access to subsidies by, by those who don't have even access to banking, Mm. that's where the whole issue of ensuring that these subsidies and economic plans reaches those in the grassroots, right? Mm. You Mm. are proposing policies, but you're not seeing who's being left behind. Yeah. So when you take a more wholesome view at devising policies and laws, a gender mainstreaming lens would actually ensure that your policies and laws are not leaving anyone behind.
0: Right. Um. Yeah. I mean. Uh. So the are, I mean, people. Various different groups are disadvantaged in different ways, right? So I mean, here definitely in terms of women's rights, we are not where we should be, and and uh, and, and as you say, that's why we should look at issues from a gender, uh, from a, from the lens of gender. But uh, there are also Different ways of of grouping People where you can find that there are Oppressed groups, like if you look at race If you look at nationality, if you look at the Situation of immigrants, those are not Documented, I mean you can even Look at it uh, uh, People of different religions have different Rights, and so do you think that it becomes uh, uh, How many Basically my question is basically How many lenses can you apply to the Issues before it gets to Uh, it gets too layered and too complicated for for people to navigate?
2: Great question. Um, So I actually identify as an intersectional feminist, which means you're constantly, you know, I am constantly trying to be aware of various different identities that people or groups of people have that may disadvantage them, Mm -hmm. right? And yes, it may complicate things, um, but I think you need, as policymakers or lawmakers you need to be aware of certain identities of your communities or your groups of people that are primarily disadvantaging them and like how do you address it Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's very important to actually look at these different identities because Mm -hmm. um, like you very rightly said different identities disadvantage people differently Mm -hmm. and just because you don't want to complicate your work as a lawmaker are you going to let these communities of people continue to be disadvantaged because of the identities they have
1: yeah yeah actually that you know building upon that right maybe like what's something that we always talk about on the show is that we believe a lot of solutions can be carved out especially for all of these different communities if the system wasn't so federalized Because like you said, with the whole parliament digital structure is that it was elected individuals for for a constituency, right? And so maybe if we weren't so federalized in terms of our system, maybe we could create local policies that can can actually create impactful uh, results for these different impacted communities across locations, right? Because just you can... Add a location lens to it itself because different socioeconomic situations exist in different places. So just like Borneo, as well, as well. So yeah, you know that's a very interesting point. And actually, also, yeah. yeah, sorry,
2: go on. I'll continue after you.
1: Oh yeah. So I just wanted to say, like, um, in the conversation, right, of um, of basically advancing women's rights, uh, women's participation in politics um what is the in your in your perception your observation right how many men actually participate within these conversations itself and obviously we need to be increasing the number but at this point like what is your understanding of it
2: um before i answer that yeah um going back to what uh, bamba was saying earlier um i think that's where representation comes into place right As lawmakers, are you going to assume what these groups need? Are you going to assume you actually understand how these groups are disadvantaged because of their identities? And this is why representation matters. Um, For instance, the Bornean voices, for instance, right? Because there was representation from the grassroots, they were able to bring up issues that they were facing and yes. hence, lived realities, their lived realities are reflected in policies. Yeah. Similarly, yeah. if we're talking about different groups of people that are disadvantaged because of the identities they have, mm-hmm. I think giving access to these people from the grassroots to have access to, to more formal spaces like the parliament or like mm. the state government or, or the local government to actually bring up the issues that they face on a, on a daily basis. How yeah. are they disadvantaged? and yeah. hear them out on how they want to address the issue. It's not our role to assume how these marginalized communities um, wish to be helped. Um, it, I think we need to open up spaces to hear it from those who are marginalized. And that's why I really emphasized on representation and lived realities. Yeah,
3: very well said. Well, yeah. yeah.
1: What about yeah. the... The question on, like, how yeah, many men are actually participating? <laughs> oh, yeah, how many men are actually participating in the conversation of advancing women's rights right now?
2: I, uh, I mean, I can't put a number to it, but I know I mean, that yeah, it's but, very like, less you say,
1: like, increasing, especially input, in many... Parliament
0: Digital itself when these issues were debated, right? Like, did, did, did you see participation yeah. from from men there?
2: Yes, actually, very refreshing. Like, I I don't know if I mentioned earlier during the podcast because we. We've come a very long way from our first, first question. <laughs> uh, the conversations were very civil, very respectful. So mm. although there were, obviously, you have 20, 222 people from all over the country, plus wait lists, um, with differing opinions, obviously, there are going to be differences in opinions, right? Mm. But they were done very respectfully, and everyone was very open to learning. Mm. So for instance, we were obviously, I was personally advancing for the issue of gender mainstreaming and there were a couple of other reps who were also speaking about gender issues and I was very happy in how positively it was actually welcomed and how men were actually engaging in the conversations Mm. Um, so obviously there is a connotation the moment you talk about feminism or women's rights Um, but I think there is hope um, in having conversations and opening up spaces for the larger population. And Parliament Digital has been really refreshing in that sense. There have been very healthy mm. conversation. Everyone's very civil, very respectful, very, very uh, strong sense of solidarity. And that's been amazing.
3: Nice. You didn't have any more questions, i before I interrupt you again, right? Before you interrupt me. Okay, okay.
1: Before I interrupt you.
3: So the next question I have, Jesus. Before you didn't interrupted me. So um, do you think um, our elected reps and leaders uh will take up any of these um causes that were championed by Parliament Digital? I
2: think that I'm, I'm going to replace will with should. I think ah, they okay. should. Okay. <laughs> um but actually there have been two suggestions that came uh was quickly announced by the government after parliament digital oh, so there was mm-hmm. one announcement on continuing tv panditikan on rtm and this was actually um suggested by mp santupo during parliament digital mm-hmm. uh-huh. and there was another one on access to mental health services in schools and extending it for parents and this was uh, actually championed by mp parit Bunta throughout the Parliament Digital Period. So, okay. um, so the, they I I I'm hoping that it was because of the suggestions that came from here. Um, and I to told this true. in a I told this in another interview as well that obviously we are giving out suggestions and voicing out our issues because we want it to be heard. Mm. Um, so the government taking this up is obviously very very uh, important and great. But obviously, give credit where it's due, mm. and don't do this while there have been calls to representatives uh, by the police, and there have been no explanations on why there have been calls in the first place. And yeah, so going back to the question, um, I think that they should take up these issues, also because these issues are actually very well-researched issues. They have a very strong basis and. They are based on very popular research. Some of them have been based on good practices from, you know, um, from different countries. Some of them have been from lessons from previous pandemics and crises. Mm. So these are all not ideas that are without basis. These are all very well researched, very well thought out suggestions, mm. um, which is why I think the government really needs to take into consideration of these issues.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's very encouraging. Actually, like yeah. uh, those two, uh, two things that you mentioned, and uh, I mean the fact of the proximity, right, between mm. Parliament Digital and this uh, policies being announced, does uh, mm. suggest that there's a link. I'm sure. Mm. Uh, yeah, and you know, you mentioned about the, um, calls the, from the authorities. <laughs> yeah, you didn't you want to get into that? <laughs> <laughs> the police. The police.
1: No, uh, but yeah, I wanted to ask. Um, number one. Were you harassed
0: by the by,
1: by the police? <laughs>
3: yeah,
2: <laughs> not yet.
3: Oof. Not yet. Wow, is that?
2: Why, why are you why, shocked?
3: Why are you waiting for a phone call? Is it? She's like,
1: every day.
2: <laughs> no, because we don't know on <laughs> what basis.
1: <laughs> She'll be pissed off it doesn't happen right
0: now. <laughs> no, 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 no.
2: That's not what I meant. I mean, what I'm saying is that we don't know on what basis these calls are being made. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. we don't We don't really know who's going to be next. So, right, right. yeah. Uh, even the IGP no, I'm not waiting for a call. Yeah, I'm not waiting <laughs> right, for a call.
0: It's like I'm not like pissed like that they haven't harassed me. Right? <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh <laughs> my, yeah. They, they,
0: they're like, they don't even yeah. phone, right? They contact on social media. Isn't it? Oh, really?
2: Some, yeah. some people got contacted on social media. DMs. Um, yes, some people got called. From
0: PDRM Malaysia, the Twitter account. Are you serious or
3: what? I no, I'm pretty
1: sure. I don't sure. think no, it was
2: the PDRM. I think it was Individuals. But personal um, accounts. Yeah, but the whole thing wasn't done systematically, right? Some were being contacted on social media. Some were being called by police. Some were being called for a friendly chat. Some were just questioned on political affiliations of the participants of the organizers. Uh, Some were actually called in to the police station for formal questioning. So that it wasn't done systematically at all. The funniest thing is that the organizers weren't contacted at all. It was only certain representatives who were being contacted. And what was even funnier is that the IGP thought that this wasn't happening. Yeah, didn't it did. No, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah,
1: where yeah. the basis was coming from. Yeah. Was, was this some new form of canvassing uh, the like, political voter population?
2: <laughs> no idea. But you know what's most frustrating? Please it's tell the me. fact that people thought that the organizers and the participants were doing this for clout. And that this wasn't actually happening Aww. apparently it was a publicity stunt Ooh. but people Aww. have proofs that they've been called by police and they had to go in for investigation and things like that so for what
1: possible reason like okay that makes no sense
2: I don't okay. think we needed the police harassment to get the clout because we already yeah. reached a really good like publicity yeah and Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Because, you know, like, I'm pretty sure that the the thing is, it's, I wish, obviously, it didn't happen, because even you go read the news about, if you just search Parliament Digital, that's really like, what's going to be dominating the first page of the results page, you know, and it's completely taking away what you all achieved. And it's absolutely fantastic. So I mean, I really hope you don't get called.
2: (laughs) Uh, Or if you do,
1: (laughs) or if you do then what, well, okay, what would, what would you, this do? is you
2: calling for it,
1: now, what, <laughs> what would you do if you receive the call, if you sort of, maybe, you know, you sort of anticipate it right now, and then you, and then the call comes, what would be your reaction, would you, I have a very it? strong feeling he's
2: jinxing this, um, so we do have uh, support from the organizers, in terms of uh, legal, legal mm-hmm. uh, support, yeah. and um, a lot of A lot of members of the legal fraternity and some MPs and ministers have been speaking up and showing solidarity. Um, So solidarity from the organizers and obviously from people in um, politics currently is great. Um, But what's even more outstanding is the solidarity among the representatives themselves.
0: Mm. This has Mm.
2: been really, really great. And I think that if an um, unfortunate event was to happen, um, we do have the support and the sense of community to back us.
1: Mm. Yeah, I right. believe so. Yeah, I doubt.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you've been getting this solidarity from uh, the legal fraternity and so on, right? Have you, ha- has anyone in the government or in the backbenches now spoken out against uh, this, you know, calling out by the police? Because uh, what occurs to me is, you Know the recent case with the Al Jazeera documentary. Um, mm. Mm. there was a host on Bernama who called Al Jazeera yep. Al Jahiliya, and mm. yeah, it was kind of encouraging yeah. that the uh communications minister Saifuddin uh he actually uh spoke out and said that the they shouldn't be using this kind of language to describe yeah. journalists. So, I mean, so in Parliament Digital's case, has anyone on the government side uh spoken up about this to your knowledge?
2: Um, I think there was someone but I don't remember exactly who but there have been yeah okay
1: mm-hmm. interesting okay you know so you know I wanted to just also ask what ultimately what is the if you could tell someone why should you join I know you already explained this right but like what is the real experiences that you gain from going through parliament digital and even a life of being within civil society
2: um, okay, first I'll explain. I mean, I'll, I'll touch upon Parliament Digital. Yeah. I think for a lot of us, um, this was like dipping our toes into seeing what politics is like.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, this was like a first-hand view into Parliament proceedings and
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, what goes into the process of presenting ideas in Parliament and suggesting yeah. policy recommendations and things like that. Yeah. Um, and what I've gained from this experience is... Uh, A perspective of what I would like the ideal political landscape to look like. Mm. Um, Something that's respectful, something that's enriching, and something that's issue-based. Keeping Mm. aside all the politicking and all the unnecessary political turmoil and things like that. Mm. Um, But I've also gained a really healthy network of young people. Mm. And... I've been longing to be among um, a space of just young people throwing out new ideas and being innovative and just showing that they care and Mm. they have the competency to take up leadership positions. Mm. And this space has shown me that and Mm. it has indeed um, helped me actually want to do more over this course of time. Actually, I think also being in large spaces for me has uh, over the past, I think initially um, actually led me to having an imposter syndrome um, mm-hmm. with also not so great self-esteem as to you don't know what your role is in this such a huge, you know, world of activism and politics. And um, obviously with, with how uh, people often view young people and, you know, question your competency What are you going to do with that position that you have? Mm. Um, Obviously, we're doing what we can. And, um, you know, sometimes we go uh, beyond to prove ourselves. But at the end of the day, for me personally, at least, I did have that a bit of the imposter syndrome. But being in this group of young people has been very encouraging, even for my personal experiences as an activist or as someone who wants to advocate for issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I, wh- that's what I call uh, enriching, because mm-hmm. it just um, helps on all fronts. You know, it helps right, not right. not just with the process, but even what you take away from the process and what are you gonna do with that after that. Um, and I also mm-hmm. think that this there's something really bigger waiting for this whole group, and I I really hope that this really turns into something bigger.
1: Wow, okay, that's that's great. You know, um, I'll touch upon this after, but this is my last question. I don't know, I hope you're glad, but this is my last question for you, Melinda. And where do you see yourself in the next five to 10 years? Do you see yourself in politics, civil society, all of the above? Where do you, yeah, where do you see yourself?
2: Um, I think with COVID-19, um, it's thought is that having five years, five-year visions are a bit oh, no. difficult. <laughs> I think we're just, like living, right now. <laughs> we're just like living by the day, right? To see what's happening tomorrow or living by right. the week. Um, mm. But if you're asking me if I'd see a career in politics, then um, I would say yes. Mm. But I think it's a bit early for me personally to say when exactly. I think I need to first find the resilience and the tenacity or the will to -hmm. do it. Um, For now, obviously, I will continue contributing what I can to the work of activism through my role with the civil society organization. And Mm -hmm. I'm not going to compromise that. Mm -hmm. And when you said, um, whether, uh, where do I see it myself, whether in politics or civil society or whatnot, I believe that I strongly believe in a very healthy multi-stakeholder engagement where I envision a world where the government, the opposition, I mean, the world of politics and civil society organizations can work hand in hand together. Mm. So I don't know where life is going to take me five years from now, but regardless Mm. if I'm going to be in politics or if I'm going to be in in the CSOs, I envision working. I envision these two entities working hand in hand yeah but I think uh, um, I also do envision for the political landscape in Malaysia to change. Um, mm. I feel there needs to be more representation I need there needs to be more young people, there needs to be more women and um, yeah i I do believe in politics um, um, I do believe that the personal is political and mm. Yeah, let's see where this takes me. I do believe strongly in Parliament Digital and the group that has come out of this. Mm. And I really mm. have to thank the organisers. I can't imagine the work they went through in putting this together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it seems so overwhelming to even think of the work that would have gone through behind the scenes. Mm. Um, so, yeah. I, I don't know if that answered your question. No, but- I
1: mean, no, I think that's a real answer and I'm very glad that you said yeah. it, really. Yeah. Guys, do you have anything else to say to Melinda?
0: Yeah, no, I think we... I, I think that... I think you set a very good example for young people about how they can Yeah. escape from this cycle of... Uh, can you
1: remind everyone how old you are? Me? Yes.
2: Oh, I just turned 23 a week ago.
1: Happy belated birthday. But <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that adds to your point, Mama. That adds to your point. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. I mean, at such a young age, and you've been doing this... You've been involved in civil society for years, yeah. at this point, and yeah. and she's not just talking. That's it. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's not just a Twitter activist, but you're actually taking yeah. action and imposter
1: syndrome, no more. <laughs> <Normal.
0: laughs> we are the imposters. <laughs> we, are, we are the imposters, exactly. Imposters. <laughs> yeah,
2: so I think no, this, you guys are you guys are walking the talk too by doing this podcast.
1: Oh, that we were actually baiting for this compliment. <laughs>
2: <laughs> for the listeners this wasn't planted um, but but I think they paved the way to this comment.
0: <laughs> yeah. Of course, you know. We we are trying in our own small way because uh we noticed that amongst our group of, of yeah. friends and amongst our age group lah like, and, and also yeah. like our social class, right, there's a lot of disinterest. Yeah. And there's a yeah, lot of yeah. they are not unaware uh they are not. They are not interested. And they don't think anything can change, like we mentioned earlier. And also, they they don't know how to access this kind of information, this kind of debate, and they're yeah. not given the opportunity to engage in the discussion themselves. So that's why we thought like this podcast would be some small way of contributing yeah. to that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Obviously, Parliament Digital on a much uh, larger scale. And so yeah. yeah, I would say just um keep up the good work, and uh, yeah. we hope that you will join us on the show again sometime.
1: Yeah, you've been an absolute Uh, pleasure to talk to, really. This
2: was like a very casual conversation. And I'd love to like, you know, continue this conversation even after this podcast. Actually, just to add to what you were saying, right? There are people Mm. who are ignorant, but there are also people who don't know how to access spaces and information. Which is why Mm. I think organizations like Challengers and Undi18 are doing such amazing jobs. Like if you see Undi18, they actually power a few other campaigns. Um, mm. such as the one 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 initiative there's the Senate yeah. eighteen um there's also the Mai Hutan, and then there's the undi Saksama. these are all um, these are all um, collective of young people who come together, powered by undi eighteen but yeah. we, these are all people from different walks of life coming together and yeah, you know yeah. choosing to work on a particular campaign mm. and if you see their infographics right um, i don't think I've ever found such organized uh, infographics anywhere before yeah um mm-hmm. it's so easy to understand things and when there's a where there's a ready made pool of resources available, you know where to find information and I mm-hmm. think it's great to be able to see this come up now
3: mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: no, I agree I agree and um we've we've met um at least I've met the founding members of undi eighteen and uh, the the president. Of Challenger Jean, as well, you know, so very familiar with all their work, and I'm totally mm. not surprised. She is definitely a cut from a different cloth, really. And uh, I'm really glad that everything said right because um, I'm really impressed by the transition of youth participation as a whole. Because yeah. I wouldn't have imagined this being possible maybe two, even three, four years ago, at least, at least pre the election, the last election, you know? Mm. So, it like really props to you guys and especially yeah. you being younger than us. You're really paving yeah. the way, really, I got to say. And I'm really glad that that's happening.
2: We're in this together. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> we are.
0: yes, we are. <laughs> um, yes.
2: I think Undi18 actually is, they're game changers.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um,
2: yeah. So, obviously, it, their primary goal was to lower the voting age. Which but they did. Beyond that, yeah. right, a lot of people were skeptical about 18-year-olds being able to vote and all that. Yeah, But yeah. going beyond that and opening up spaces for young people to actually access information, access spaces, to participate. These are all really important to follow that move in lowering the voting age. And they are mm-hmm. literally changing the game. Mm, um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think we all are in our own roles that we play in our day-to-day lives. And I think yeah. this has to continue, whether in a collective, whether individually, this has to go on.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah you know, um, a lot of young people, they, myself included, you know, like when, it, when it's tough, you know, when it's an inconvenience in your way, when if you have to sacrifice two or three weekends in a row mm. to do something that it doesn't directly add benefit to you, then you really don't feel the need to do it. And then you yeah. sort of lose momentum in what you were trying to achieve and then, you know, you sort of fall short. But there, there's definitely a lot of people just, when they have a passion, they go all go, go all in, you know? Yeah. Yep, exactly.
0: Yeah, and I think like the hope is in like someone like you where you are at the intersection of uh, civil society and uh, yeah, dipping your feet into politics as well, yeah. as opposed to um, you know just pursuing a hundred a percent of political career, and you know sometimes that is very uh, discouraging. Like if you see even youths who who are who are engaged in the kind of like factionalism and all that's like very rife right now, right? And yeah, so um, getting involved in civil society, under eighteen, I think mm. that that's probably like would you say that that's a better path? to pursue than just you know signing up to be a member of a particular party and just signing up to their particular ideology?
2: I think to each their own whatever works for them but at Mm. the end of the day you stay true to your values and Mm. you understand why you're doing it. Are you doing it because you want to claim a space in politics just for the sake of it or are you going to do it because you actually want to do something with the role you have? Yeah, um, I think with civil society representatives, we often come from the, the the role that we want to be able to change something, or we mm-hmm. want to be able to, to champion a particular issue. Mm-hmm. So um, I would assume that that would translate mm-hmm. into, you know, actual actions if you're given a space in the political world. But like I said, to each their own. Yeah, but staying true to your values is very important.
1: Okay, on that note, uh, thank you very much, Melinda, for joining us on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Guys, do you have any closing remarks?
2: No, I think that's about it. Nope. Like, mm-hmm.
1: Okay, yeah. all right, great. Uh, Melinda, would you like to say anything?
2: Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I no think problem. We've, we've covered so much during the podcast. I mean, during our conversation. Didn't yes, seem like really a podcast cool. recording at all. Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, that's
1: the point. Exactly. You heard that? See, we've it's given like, uh, twenty compliments, and we ain't gotten two in return. <laughs> hey, yeah,
2: I'm sure I gave you all there. enough yeah. compliments along
0: I'm the way. Kidding, I'm kidding.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Okay, all, right, all right. right. Thank you very much, and good night.